In this special series, AHLA leaders discuss key moments in their careers, current and future trends in health law, and AHLA's role in their professional development. Support for AHLA and this series is provided by HORN, which provides proactive guidance and strategies to enhance efficiency, improve patient experience, increase market share, and position you for greater success. Horn Healthcare serves over 600 clients across 31 states. For more information, visit hornllp.com. This is Chip Hutzler. I'm a director with the healthcare team of Horn. And joining me today is Patricia Marcus. She is a partner with the law firm of Nelson & Mullins in Raleigh, North Carolina. And she's also the incoming HLA president-elect designate. That means she's going to be the president in 2023 to 2024. So she's going to be the president of HLA in that year. And we're so glad to have her here now, several years before, to get her take on things well ahead of that. And really, what I like to start out with in these, Trish, is ask you how you decided to get into health law in the first place. Well, my response to that is probably not as exciting as um, the response you may have gotten from others. I uh, graduated from law school and didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, um, but actually the way I like to tell this story is that when I was a kid growing up outside of Chicago and with my dad as a sports writer, I was a huge Chicago Cubs fan. We went to Wrigley Field and sat behind the plate while he was in the press box. And when I was about six, I told him that I wanted to be a Cub and I said, Dad, how come there are no girl Cubs? And he said, well, Trisha, life isn't fair, which was a good life lesson. <laughs> so he's a little young for that. But um, so then because I liked my pediatrician, I decided I wanted to be the Cubs team doctor, you know, because it had to be with the Cubs since I couldn't be a Cub. Um, so that caused me to go to Haverford um, College, which was a school that was great at getting qualified students into medical school. Uh, but it turned out after a few years that perhaps um, I was not such a qualified student, at least in terms of sciences. So, um, it's that wall in organic chemistry or something like that. It, it was biochemistry, and there's yeah. story, there's a story there too. But um, yeah. in any event, so I ended up going to law school and um, thought I wanted to be an appellate lawyer, but uh, my aunt. Uh, who also, before she passed away, was a leader within AHLA. Nancy Forbes was a health lawyer. And so when I had a couple of um, interviews with a couple of different lawyers here in Raleigh after I had clerked for a state judge, I called her and said, what do you do all day? And so <laughs> I remember writing down this list of things like medical staff bylaws and fraud and abuse and things. I had no earthly idea what she was talking about, but um, she did uh, explain to some extent that, you know, she did corporate and regulatory work. And so I muddled through apparently at least one of those interviews because my now partner and then mentor, Bob Wilson, hired me uh, back in 1996 to, uh, you know, I knew nothing about health law. We didn't have health law in law school at the time. Uh, no health law classes. So it was uh, a little bit different than it might be for someone uh, in, in law school today. Indeed. Um, that's, that's great. Uh, I actually went to a law school that had health law program. 
in the early 90s, University of Maryland. Um, but I didn't have any idea I was going to get into healthcare, so I didn't take any of those classes. And then, of course, 20 years later, I'm in healthcare. Um, so similar in that sense, but, uh, but I didn't take advantage of what was in front of me because I didn't know. Um, did you have people along the way that inspired you? You mentioned a couple uh, that did. And talk about the people that inspired you and what made them special. I have to, uh, you know, I, I will say, um, again, regarding my aunt, she was a very, um, a very special person. And, and I think her law partners also would say that she um, had a, a light around her. She had an amazing voice. And I just remember it, it made you feel like she knew what she was talking about, but also that she cared. Um, she had a, she had a warmth about her. But also, she was just so smart. And the, the thing that Nancy taught me, even before I went to law school, when I was a teen, and we would talk was that um, just because you think that the options are all bad, uh, doesn't mean that you can't consider them more broadly and come up with a workaround or a good option. In other words, she helped me open my mind to the possibility that I wasn't seeing um, different ways of doing something because I wasn't thinking broadly enough. And that was that was awfully helpful. Um, yeah, that's a great insight. And um, and sort of is a good segue to my other question, which is, you know, is there sort of any moment for you in um, in your career where you you realized, hey, I chose health law and that was the absolute right decision. It was kind of key moment in your health law career when you look back and say, hey, that's, that's really sort of the turning point for me when I realized I'm in the right place. Actually, I, I, I guess it probably would be related to my work on the health information privacy and technology side. Um, I mean, I started out doing healthcare fraud and abuse, and frankly, I was a baby lawyer when um, corporate compliance programs were nascent, and Janet Reno was the attorney general, and you know, healthcare fraud was the number two priority of the Justice Department, ahead of or just behind, rather, violent crime. And so, um, you know, I did what lawyers who work for medical practices and hospitals do at the time, which is, uh, you know, what what is the OIG going to look for in terms of uh, trying to assure that you're not, um, you know, you're, you're billing properly and you're not trying to defraud the federal government. Um, and that was, I mean, I, I've, I think that compliance background has served me well. Um, but I think that what made my life sort of, my life, life as a healthcare lawyer sort of interesting is when um, I actually got into HIPAA. And this is another one of those things where at the time I was an associate and Bob Wilson, my partner said to me, would you like to learn about HIPAA? <laughs> because I can't remember if he said, I don't have time to, or I do not care to, but of course, as, as an associate at the time, the appropriate response, and as far as I could tell, the only appropriate response was why, yes, of course, I'd be delighted to. 
So I did, and for whatever reason, uh, it it ended up being something that resonated with me. Um, I guess because um, I like intricate. In in some ways, I like I like getting into the details, um, and and I think privacy is important. Um, people argue that we have no privacy. That's probably a discussion for a different day, um, but. I think that getting into that, uh, into um, understanding HIPAA and then related health privacy and security laws got me really excited because I had a niche. You know, it was something I felt that I could do that was something not everybody could do and not something not everyone knew about. Yeah, that's great. Um, what are some of the challenges you face along the way in health law? And uh, how did you overcome them? Well, that's a that's a that's a great question. Um, this is maybe not a health law challenge. It's perhaps a you know a challenge that lawyers face generally in deciding who they want to be when they grow up. Um, because I have a compliance background, um, there there are and and Chip, you know this too there are different points along your career when you can say, I'm going to add a skill and I'm going to drop something else that I do. Or you can say, I'm going to add a skill and see what happens, but I'm going to hang on to that old skill because you never know when it's going to come in handy. And so um, I have taken the position that uh, it's, it never hurts to try to keep up on some of the things that you used to do. Where I'm going with this is it sort of turned me into what I call a utility infielder kind of regulatory compliance lawyer. So I enjoy health information technology and privacy issues, um, and I work in that area quite a bit. But I also do Medicare, um, RAC, and other audits and, and appeals from those. And um, just regular compliance work. And I work with physicians on contracts and I deal with health information exchanges and accountable care organizations. And I work with licensing of skilled nursing facilities and other um, types of entities that need to get licensed by the state. And so I, I think that has been challenging in a way because um, it's hard to keep yourself uh, up on all of those things. And so you need to surround yourself with people who have complementary skill sets so that you don't um, say something really stupid in front of an, an administrative law judge or <laughs> on a phone call with a client, um, both of which I'm sure I have done. So I, I think yeah. just figuring out, you know, what, what's your bandwidth and how do you how do you make sure that you are giving other people opportunities um, and at the same time being the best lawyer and most effective lawyer you can be. Right. Well, part of the idea of this podcast is to let you say as many dumb things as possible so that excellent. this will be the, the worst you've ever done. And then everything else will pale by comparison. But no, in all seriousness, you're doing great. And um, I think that was a really great answer because that's the challenge a lot of people have is just managing the volume of stuff in healthcare um, is really tough. I, I've, find that that's for me a challenge as well. So you've hit on something that 
hits close to home for me on that one. Um, what's your outlook on the future of health law? I mean, you're going to step into this role at HLA for the next couple of years where you, you dedicate a lot of your time to the health law bar. What do you see as your outlook of where health law is going? Maybe, maybe that's informed a little bit by where healthcare is going, but, um, but health law in particular, um, do you have a sort of an outlook on where you think it might be going and what, what, role as health lawyers should be in shaping that? Well, let me dust off my crystal ball, which um, <laughs> of course is, uh, you know, only good. Rusty? For, yeah, it, it, it is. It's a little bit cloudy right now, but, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, um, I mean, I think that we all expect on the healthcare side for technology to, to continue to be very integral to the provision of healthcare as well as the management of and the payment for healthcare. I also think that in order to cut costs and make healthcare more affordable, we are all going to have to get used to the idea that maybe more healthcare is going to take place in our homes or in a kiosk at a supermarket or somewhere that is not inside of a hospital or another um, residential facility. Um, in, in terms of where I think health law is going, I think that we're going to have to, uh, as, as those trends become reality, um, and also I would add as behavioral health uh, becomes more recognized as integral to physical health and well-being. I think that all of us are going to have to participate in developing policies that enable us to, first of all, enable our providers to furnish the right care, use the, the resources that they have and, and the research that they are working on to create new uh, new therapies that are more preventive in nature. Um, I, I anticipate, as is always the case, that the law is going to continue to lag behind the um, process of creating new therapies. And, uh, you know, a great example of that is artificial intelligence. Um, we don't yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Yeah, we don't know how 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 do you how do you um, how do you govern that? How do you regulate that? How do you if you ultimately have a um, a mechanism that learns by itself? How do you, <laughs> as a, as a lawmaker or a regulatory agency, determine what the parameters for that? should be and how do you uh, implement that and I, I'm not the tech guru uh, on that side of it so I don't know the answers but I think we have a lot of interesting and challenging ethical questions that will be coming down the pike. That's fascinating yeah I think that's just about right. I, I, the law does lag behind you know we had an awful lot of laws come out at the end of last year but they seem to be catching up on the things we were talking about before the pandemic right the right. price transparency and the privacy law and the stark kickback and so on. And um, 
And now some of these things that have come up during the pandemic, like telehealth and artificial intelligence and so on, it's going to take a little while for the legal scholars to catch up on that and kind of get us there and the government, you know, moves at their pace too. So it's a, that's, that's a great that, point. You know, what's, what comes after AI and, and when will we be addressing the legal ramifications of that? And, you know, the next decade, the thirties, I don't know. I, I, yeah. What comes after AI is I, the, the, the machines come alive and take over, right? <laughs> I don't know. Open the pod bay doors, Al. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, with with that transition, um, you know, during the pandemic, we've all been a little bit locked down to some extent. Uh, some people have been a few places. I've been one or two, but I haven't been too many. Um, but we all have, as health lawyers, have traveled around. I, I don't know about you, but I know uh, I travel around a bit, and I know you do as well. What are your favorite places to visit? I, I have a feeling you've been to places beyond the friendly confines of North Carolina um, that you like to visit as a health lawyer. You'll probably visit some more now that you're in this role. Where do you like to go for uh, in your travels along the way, either for fun or otherwise? Well, I admit to having a fondness, perhaps an unreasonable fondness for Chicago. Um, you know, I grew up there. I went mm -hmm. to high school there. Most of my high school friends still live there. I still do not want to be a Chicago resident anytime between October and May, but I love visiting during the summer yeah. months. And it's fine to visit in the winter too. Um, I, you know, it's funny because growing up, um, we were a block away from Lake Michigan. And so, um, and two blocks away from a beach. And uh, so I felt like I grew up on the water or at the beach and really didn't know much. I always thought I was a beach person. And then I moved to North Carolina and there are mountains here, not in Raleigh, but not far away. And I ended up beginning to travel to places that were more mountainous. And so actually um, one of the, our favorite places to go is um, Washington State, which has of course uh, the beautiful mountain range between Seattle and uh, this beautiful lake in the middle of the state called Lake Chelan. And then Walla Walla is also a hilly part of the state in the eastern part. It's, you know, a desert, but the topography is just stunning. And they also make pretty darn good wine. Um, so and that, in Washington State, they sure do. Yeah. So that is definitely a favorite place to go. Um, Beautiful up there. I, you know, that's another place that's got an interesting topography and, and weather, but it's um, spectacular. So those are good choices for sure. HLA loves Chicago. We do get to Chicago from time to time, and it is fun to visit there. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll be doing the annual meeting there next year, and uh, our fingers are all crossed that that will be in person. Absolutely. Um, so as a, as a leader, what have you learned and what would you recommend to would-be future health law leaders? Anything you'd, that if you had a, somebody you were mentoring in health law leadership, what would you recommend to them? Probably that we all come to an organization with our own opinions and our own ways of approaching things. And that is, of course, fine. But I think that you learn about other people by 
being a really attentive listener and that the way to understand how the dynamics in a room work is by listening. Um, I also think that when you are trying to lead a group of people, if you don't understand um, the desires of the group as a whole, um, or if there's a specific individual who is in fact running the show, then you're going to have a hard time being a leader. So I, I think just sort of that, that requirement to say, okay, this is what I think, but why don't I make sure that I'm not the only one who thinks this way or double check to make sure that the reason I'm thinking about this in this way applies in this situation. Yeah, uh, uh, that's great. And somebody once said it to me, and I think it's it's poignant. It's so, sort of similar that HLA is a place where you want to ask permission rather than for forgiveness for the most part. Um, you know, both schools of thought uh, apply at different times in your life, but um, in HLA, you're better off to kind of seek uh, others' views before you march down a road too far. I think um, that's always. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's always a good um, approach, especially for folks who um, you know may have may be involved in other organizations. And I think each organization has its own vibe. And my view is that AHLA is a very welcoming organization. Um, it's filled with tremendous people um, who are incredibly smart, funny, and very giving of their time. But if I'm new to AHLA, what I would like to know is that these people have been doing this longer than I have and really have a sense as to what works and what doesn't. So perhaps I should, um, you know, just see how things are, are done and rather than, um, you know, stampeding in and saying, I am going to take over this association. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, well, there is one more question, and uh, everyone knows what it is. I've asked the same one of everyone, and we'll see uh, what your thoughts are on this one. So when they induct you into the Health Lawyer Hall of Fame as a rock star that you will be, um, what is your plaque on the wall going to say? Hopefully it will say she cared and she made a difference. The older I get, obviously when you're younger, um, you are climbing a mountain or a hill and you know there are things that you want to achieve. Um, and I think your priorities change as you go through life and you have a family and you lose your family members and you know you get older and you, you start to think, what, what do I want my legacy to be? And I want my legacy to be that people recognize that I cared about what I was working on and I cared about the people that I worked with. And, and that hopefully through that caring and efforts to uh, demonstrate it and to try to um, improve the lives or the lots of my clients or of others at AHLA, hopefully I do make a difference. That's, that's a great thing to be known for, no doubt about it. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your having us. I want to thank everyone for listening today and uh, we'll certainly see everyone again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, 
be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.